Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 17 of Attitude Check, the Business Leadership Podcast. Today we are so excited to have Trevor Deerdorf as a guest. Trevor is the Chief Executive Officer and founder of Amnet, and he has a great story of how he got to the point where he's at now. But before we jump into that, Brent, tell us something new. Well, John Mark, I think the newest thing that I'm excited about is a book I've been reading called Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. And I really like the book because it's basically the spark notes of all of the interviews he's had over his career, uh, whether that's you know podcasting interviews or other things. And what I really like about it is it's broken up into three sections, healthy, wealthy, and wise. So you can really dive deep and focus on things you want to improve in your life. And just the scope of people he's interviewed has been really interesting to see all of the different tools and habits that they have. So if you have a chance, I definitely recommend taking a look at the book. But rather than me rambling on about the books I'm reading all day, let's jump into this episode with Trevor Deerdorf. Endeavor to challenge yourself every single day. Engage with your community, effect change, and produce impact. I'm John Mark Radspinner. And I'm Brent Sabati. And this is the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We have the conversations that young professionals should be having, but aren't. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. Today we have Trevor Deerdorf. Trevor is the CEO of Amnet, which is an IT services and cybersecurity firm. So Trevor, if you had a billboard just for yourself, just a message you want to put out there in the ether to the random passerby, what would it say or what would you have on it? You know, I really like encouraging and inspiring other people. I think I'd probably come up with some pithy comment of reach higher, you can do this, or you have more potential than you realize, but something that would initiate some action as well. So I might have to really polish that, but it would probably be something in that vein. Would you put any kind of uh, pictures on there? Because I know around your office, you have a lot of references to superheroes and that sort of thing. So would that be kind of the theme of it too? I don't think so much superheroes, but I do have a little bit of an advertising background, and I do know that pictures make all the difference If in advertising. If you don't have people looking at it, your message doesn't matter. Images with people have a higher view rate than those without. So Trevor, you're a CEO. Obviously, you didn't start out that way. Um, it was a long journey to get to where you're at. How did you get to where you're at? I got divorced. That was really the start of it. I was in advertising sales, and in, boy, 1996, my wife left me. One of the things I learned is, at least for me, I can't sell with a broken heart. And I went from being the top salesperson to the bottom salesperson and lost that job and two more sales jobs within a year, and I decided that I needed a career change. And I'd always been a computer hobbyist, and so I took a job at Best Buy as their lead PC tech. And Amnet was really born out of that. So with a sales background, I didn't mind interacting with customers over the counter or over the phone. Meanwhile, the techs who worked for me, they went into IT because they didn't want to interface with carbon-based life forms. They preferred the <laughs> silicon-based ones. So I frequently would answer the phone when folks called in. And they would often ask for on-site support of some kind. Best Buy back then, pre-Geek Squad, didn't do on-site service in any way. This was also pre-Google. Uh, if they wouldn't bring it in, I just sent them to the phone book to find someone. But one day, a woman called in wanting one of those newfangled 33.6 modems installed in her PC so her AOL would go faster. Her name was Mildred. And I told Mildred, you know, a modem install is $30. If you'd like to come in, we'll help you pick one out. You can get that installed same day. Mildred went off on me. She said, young man, I am 83 years old. If you think I'm going to crawl under my desk, 
unplug this steel box, carry it down my stairs, put it in my car so you can install a four-ounce part. you got another thing coming. <laughs> and she said, who can help me? And I didn't want to send Mildred to the phone book. Who knows who was going to end up in Mildred's house? She's somebody's great-grandma. I felt like I needed to help out Mildred. I gave her my pager number. I couldn't afford a cell phone. When I got off work, I called her and went to her house and installed the modem. And the next day, I was feeling a little convicted that maybe this was a conflict of interest, that I had done that. I went to my boss. His name was Chad. And I told him what happened. And Chad asked me, well, would she have brought her computer in? I said, no chance. He said, all right, where'd you buy the modem? I said, Best Buy. You know, it was conveniently located. He said, so you saved a sale. And then what Chad said was, if people call here looking for help, and we can't help them, but you can, and it doesn't interfere with your job, I don't have a problem with it. So since I was head of the department, I started scheduling myself mornings and weekends, but most tech support calls come in in the morning. So I would take those calls and set the appointment, making it clear that I was doing this as a side gig, that it was not Best Buy. When I left Best Buy in 99, I had a, a small customer base that I continued to support, and I took a contract job with School District 11 as their Y2K specialist. Seeing the writing on the wall that past 2000, there wasn't going to be a lot of call for Y2K specialists. I <laughs> really took the leap and February 2nd, 2000, Amnet became my full-time job. Not a short answer to your short question. <laughs> Sorry. So what is the, I guess, the growth story behind Amnet since then? So it's been, really, it's been 19 years. So Amnet, you said, started 21 years ago. Um, right. But it's really been 19 years since you really fully launched it. So what has been the growth story since then? Boy, I never even intended to have employees. But by September of that first year, I was not keeping up with demand. I hired someone who uh, used to work with me at Best Buy named Rich Ortiz. He came to work for me as my first employee. The following spring, I hired my second employee. And we're at 17 people today. But just continuing to add clients providing good service. We kept good clients, taking good care of our employees. We had good employee retention, which is really key to customer retention. Yeah, today we're at 17. We could be 20 by the end of the year, depending on how things go. So what have been some of the biggest challenges that you face along the way? Money, <laughs> finding customers, you know, owning a business. It's, you know, there's, there's peaks and valleys and I didn't have a whole lot of experience running a business. I made plenty of mistakes along the way. But I think probably the experience that I've, I've talked with people most about was company culture. And that in 2012, we lost our largest client. And I really had to evaluate what happened. We had a dysfunctional team. I had been hiring people based on resume more than culture fit or personality fit or anything else. And uh, we were dropping balls because it's not because my team was incompetent. It's because they were incompatible. If you own a business and your company culture sucks, it's your fault. And I had to look at myself in that and figure out that I needed to grow and I needed to learn if I was going to save this business and the jobs of the people who worked for me. And so that became began a journey of me becoming a student of culture. Seven years later, we've got one of the top ratings on Glassdoor. We've been uh, selected as one of the best businesses in Colorado Springs to work for and one of the top companies in Colorado. And I think that if we hadn't lost that top client, we might have continued to muddle along. While it was really painful to go through at the time, it was critical to get to where we are today. So outside of that loss of that top client, was there some sort of catalyst that brought you to the realization that company culture was the issue? Or was it coming from nowhere, really, just an idea that popped in your head? Or did you have some sort of influence from companies that you were looking at that had great company culture? 
One in the first place I started, I just happened to attend a, a workshop where they were talking about the Gallup Q12. Gallup conducts an annual survey. It's their employee engagement survey. And there's a dozen questions that they ask people all over the world. In the United States, on average, about 30% of our employees are engaged, about 50% are disengaged, and about 20% are actively disengaged. And that means those actively disengaged people come to work every day to undermine the goals of the company. You can't make progress like that. And I looked at those Gallup Q12 questions, and I made it a focus to make sure that my employees could answer yes to each of those 12 questions that triggered that that direction. And relating to the company culture, I think one of the, the key indicators that, that has obviously been successful besides kind of just gross numbers and profit margins and everything like that is just being able to see the story of Amnet. And I think that's one of the things that I'm most impressed with yourself and your workers and Amnet in general is the ability to really feel what the company is about and that story. Personally, I think you folks are really great at storytelling. Is that intentional as far as your advertising or your message? And do you think storytelling is important to not just business, but growth and the things you want to pursue in general? People remember things better if they hear a story. And in particular, it's one that that is honest and transparent and relatable. And I think the best way to yeah, get a point across is tell a story that conveys that. So, yeah, I think storytelling is important. And has that something you've worked to develop over the years, or has it kind of come naturally to you? I think for me it comes fairly naturally. You know, as, with having originally a background in sales, uh, talking with people and communicating well was always something important to be successful in, in that job. And it is, you know, served well in running my business. So kind of moving on to another question that popped up in my mind when you were telling your story. When you first started Amnet, I know it seemed like it happened fairly organically. You saw a need and you filled that need, but was there any sort of hesitation or fear from starting a company and branching off on your own when it seemed like you had a fairly secure uh, gig going on with Best Buy? Well, the Y2K job was an increase in pay, even though it was a short amount of time and it was it was an opportunity to do something different, but it certainly had a fuse on it, and I had to I had to get Amnet launched or update my resume. And honestly, that first year, by the end of June, I was about out of money. I had a bid out for uh, a new network for a small office, and I was at the point where I said, "All right, I'm going to get this bid, or I'm going to update my resume." And Amnet is it was a failure. It really got that close. Once I got that project, I got caught up on bills and suddenly there was just some some wind in the sails, started adding clients again. There were some some doldrums there just a few months into Amnet being full-time. And looking back on that sticking point, that challenging spot when Amnet was first created, what are the key takeaways you have from that? Is there something that really sticks with you from that time? I mean, most people don't really look at it now because Amnet is a pretty large company in our community and they do a great job of being out there. So most people see it as this kind of big, shiny kind of beacon of success. Does it still remind you of things from time to time when you first started? It was tenacity. It really was tenacity that, that saw it through. And I remember Rich and I talking, he had a, an expression of when we worked all the way through the night, if you, if you were still at work and the sun came up, 
We called it breaking night. So we broke night a few times those uh, early years. I think if I didn't have that drive and determination to put in 100-hour weeks, I might be back in advertising sales today. Who knows? Going back, company culture is a huge part of Abnet and what you believe in. Can you tell us a few of the things that you do to promote the culture you want? Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I think it's really cool that you have those you know, superhero uh, fat heads up on the walls in the office and uh, the Abnet shield that Sam brings around to networking events is really awesome too. So I think that's a part of the company culture, but what are some uh, other things that you do? Well, it all starts with hiring, first of all. You've got to hire well. And we want to find people who align with our company values. And they're simple. It's just relationships, integrity, service excellence, and education and growth. And then one of the key books that I would say I've read on company culture is from Patrick Lencioni. It's called The Ideal Team Player. And in it, spoiler alert here, the ideal team player is someone who is humble, hungry, and smart. And you understand humble. But hungry has to do with an inner drive to... Uh, do well and to continue to improve. And SMART has to do more with emotional intelligence than IQ. And so we have some specific questions that we ask to help identify if somebody has hungry, hungry, humble, hungry, and SMART, and if they have aligned with our company values. And of course, we've got to start with, do they have the aptitude to do the job? So it's a technical exam that if it's a technician, they're going to have to take. Yeah, the, the things that we do, like the superheroes, the kudos that we do, it's all part of the recipe. I believe that every company culture is like a recipe. And I tend to think of Amnet's recipe as kind of like a beef stew. So it's not that we're all homogenous. We're not all the same ingredient. But a beef stew, you've got, you've got your beef and you've got carrots and onions and green beans and tomatoes. And they're, they're all in this, this broth of company culture. And it's comprised of your values and traditions, but mostly those ingredients are your people. And every time you add an ingredient, you're changing the recipe a little bit. Someone could come to our company who's not the right ingredient. It doesn't mean they're a bad candidate. They're just a bad candidate for our culture. And, and maybe I can put it into back into recipe terms. If, if somebody applies to work for us and they're a chocolate chip, well, chocolate chips are delicious. They don't belong in a beef stew. <laughs> they would ruin your beef, beef stew. <laughs> Somewhere they need to go find a, a cookie or a chocolate chip or a, a brownie type of a company culture to be a part of. So it's not that they're a bad person. They're not qualified to do the work we do. But, yeah, chocolate chip would mess with our recipe. That's really interesting. I've never heard it put that way, but it makes so much sense and it simplifies it a lot. Speaking towards that, that smart part of the, the trio you told us, I feel like that's the thing that people our age coming out of college, going into the job field, think about the least when they're about to interview or when they're picking a company. So is there any kind of insight you can give on what people should look for or how can they determine if a company would be a good fit for them culturally? Not all companies live their stated values. Sometimes they're just aspirational values or something that somebody thought up a decade ago and stuck it on a wall and nobody even looks at it. As far as that emotional intelligence, those uh, some of that's you know soft, soft skills, but it's the ability to empathize and relate. And I think it really goes hand in hand with humility. That people who are arrogant, probably, if they've got high EQ, it's probably a dangerous weapon in their hands. <laughs> but um, you might end up with someone who's maybe more like a politician than an ideal employee. And uh, Patrick Lincioni in his book, he kind of 
describes what, what kinds of traits someone would have if they only had one or two of those three traits. It's a very interesting read. It's I, I recommend it. It's a quick read. Going back to your startup story, you yes. had talked about breaking nights, working 100-hour weeks, and it was something that you had to be willing to do to get the company up and running. During that time, how did you, I guess, how did you find the work-life rhythm? Not the balance, because, I mean, you go through good phases and bad phases, but just the rhythm. You know, I think part of what enabled me to put the time in to get Amnet launched was probably in part because I got divorced. I didn't have to go home to a wife and kids. I'm really sad that I really got to see my kids every other weekend as they grew up, but that also afforded me the time to, to be a workaholic for a while while Amnet built some momentum. You know, there's there's this expression of, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I was loving what I was doing even when it was hard. You know, a smarter person could probably have done it faster with fewer hours put in, but I was uh, on a fast track of learning things the hard way. So that's, there wasn't a whole lot of balance, but I didn't need there to be on those early years. So then what did you do outside of that uh kind of decompress. You know, Rich and I were in a pool league together. We went and played pool one night a week with some other guys, and that was a good way to decompress that was in my budget. Now I golf. Golfing takes a lot of time, but it's a lot of fun. It does. It's more <laughs> expensive and takes more time than playing in a pool league. <laughs> one of the things that we talked about in our last conversation that we had together is kind of the active outdoorsy things you do. Now that you're in an executive position, obviously your scheduling looks a little bit different than busting your butt for 100 hours a week. So tell us a little bit more about what your schedule and time looks like now and how do you optimize it to to make the best Trevor, basically? Well, I I think that early on I tried to have work-life balance and then finally came to the realization that I could attain work-life integration where work for me isn't Monday through Friday, eight to five. Recreation for me isn't outside of business hours. I'm just, I'm always me. Those are both parts of who I am. You know, my marriage, even my wife works with me. She's our operations manager. We tried to separate work and home and we wouldn't talk about home stuff at work and vice versa. And that created tension because there were these unsolved things that were on one person's mind that they weren't allowed to talk about until after five or the next work day. And we finally abandoned that. And we try not to do either one too much, but it was unrealistic to think that we could keep them separate all the time. Your daughter works at Amnet. Your wife works at Amnet. Is that something that you've really enjoyed throughout the years is being able to create, you know, a great company culture, but also basically a family environment, you know, seeing your other employees there too. It seems like everyone is, is really close. Is that something that you've intentionally done or is that something that's just naturally happened with the people that were there? Well, Tara started working for Amnet probably in 2003, which was before we got married. I needed help with bookkeeping. Uh, I was, I was doing early on, I was doing all my billing out of Excel. That must have been fun. (laughs) And we implemented QuickBooks, but she really learned it. And uh, I had to learn about things like P&Ls and balance sheets and budgets and taxes. And Tara was there to help. She was an accounting major at UCCS. But as far as Alexis working for the company, needed a client account and marketing manager. 
and she had just finished a marketing degree. We invited her to join the company, and it, it worked out well. Actually, prior to this year, my dad worked for the company for, I think, seven years. He was more on the, the sales and networking side of, of things. Yeah, it was it was nice having a family business, but there's certainly dynamics there, too, that are both great and sometimes not ideal. So it varies. Trevor, one of the things that you talked about was that shift in the culture. And obviously that took a lot of learning on your part. So how did you learn to be a leader? Well, as I said early on, if it's your company and culture sucks, it's your fault. There's an Italian proverb that says the fish stinks from the head, or sometimes translated the fish rots from the head. It was really humbling to have to take ownership of that. You know, an immature owner wants to point the finger anywhere but at themselves. And it took some growing up. Some applied learning. There's an expression that knowledge is power, but it's not true. I've learned the same thing over and over again. If you fail to apply it, you may as well not have learned it. It's applied knowledge that's power. And uh, there's plenty of great books out there on, on leadership. John Maxwell certainly has written about 30 of them. Doing things like going through a Dale Carnegie course helped me. I think some of the Stephen Covey stuff that I've read and implemented have helped. So I think that intentionality of growing myself as a person and as a leader, having to humble myself and take ownership of the things that are bad I need to, to fix. Yeah, it took just having humility. So up until that point in 2012, had you been focusing on personal growth, that humility and really working on being a leader? Or that was kind of just the wake-up call. I think it was the wake-up call. I... Just because you have a leadership title doesn't make you a leader. Sometimes it makes you an ass. I don't know if this is a family program, but there are way too many people who simply use their authority as the power over others. And it's a good way to have unhappy employees who leave and turnover means you can have turnover of clients. Yeah, it's, it's not good. I think up to that point, I was, I was transitioning from being the IT guy who was working on servers and networks to doing more CEO type things. So I'd hired people who were better at technology than I was and started to let go of those things. Once I had some good people in place, I could focus more on my own personal growth. But I would say I was more focused on learning about business and doing the work of IT than my own leadership at that point. And was that an easy or fun transition for you? Some people, they get into a business because they just love doing the actual business part of it. And you said you had to move more into that CEO leadership position, or I'm assuming you're less in the day-to-day workings of actually helping people with their IT problems. So is that something that you enjoyed transitioning out of, or do you still get that itch, so to speak, of missing interacting with those clients and helping them with their technical problems? You know, as an IT guy who started an IT company, I, it's it's honestly embarrassing when I have to go to my technical team and ask for help with a tech problem. <laughs> but it, it happens, and I have learned to have the humility to do that. I, I, am, I do try and fix things myself first because I, I do really enjoy the troubleshooting aspect of technology. But I've been able to transition that into what are the troubleshooting aspects of a business. If the problem is sales, then let's troubleshoot that. Or if the problem is operations and process, let's troubleshoot that. But I have gotten to the point where I'm really fortunate that Amnet, it mostly runs without me. At this point, it doesn't grow without me, but uh, we've built up a, a sales team that I know is going to be successful in growing the business organically without me so that I can focus on growing the business, perhaps through acquisition and moving to other geographic market, markets. Unfortunately, the business doesn't run without my wife, Tara. 
as operations, she really is the one that keeps things moving and on track. Otherwise, we could take longer vacations and not have to work when we're on vacation. But we always work a little when we travel. And but it's, it's a good place to be. Is that something that you, you look forward to in the future to when you and Tara can kind of step away and actually, like you said, go on those longer vacations or not really have a, a constant presence at Amnet? Or do you just love the business so much at this point to where you know, coming to work is it's just, you know, part of the joys of life, so to speak. Yeah, I think as we grow, it would be great to eventually work her out of a job. Uh, right now, she's still enjoying what she does, so it, it's not pressing for that to happen. When we get there, hopefully we've got the resources that we can bring in someone to do operations. I would love to bring in a CEO and take a role as like chairman of the board or something, <laughs> but uh, I don't see that being in the immediate future. That, that's probably maybe five years out at the soonest. That's that's great to hear because you see a mixture of people, some that want to build something to where they can just kind of sell it and walk away and you know, do their own thing, which is you know, one way to approach it. You have people who are more like you in the fact that you know, it's not a job. It's you know something that you built from the ground up and it's just something you love to do. So it's great to see both perspectives on you know, what you want to do for the rest of your life, basically. Well, I, I do think that my exit strategy for Amnet is eventually to sell. But right now I'm 47. Maybe when I'm 57, it's something that's realistic. I think that I would, if I had a little more time, I would actually do more work with uh, at-risk kids. I know Tara would like to do some volunteering where we travel to places that have experienced an earthquake or a flood or a fire. You've got to be nimble and ready to go tomorrow if you get a call. So I think that that's, that's in our future, that we'll probably spend more time helping others when we don't have as much of a need to meet the mortgage. Is there a certain reason why you got into those fields, uh, you and Tara, as far as at-risk kids and kind of those uh, disaster relief activities? I ended up uh, teaching for junior achievement for about a decade. Maybe seven years in, they gave me a call and asked me to take on a challenging assignment because I was one of their veteran teachers. And it was uh, teaching boys over at Zeb Pike, which is a youth detention center. It's jail for mm -hmm. high school age kids. The junior achievement curriculum is awesome, but it's really geared towards a typical classroom environment. Uh, Zeb Pike is not a typical classroom <laughs> environment. And so I was always tweaking the curriculum and the lessons to make it relatable to them and relevant. And one day I got invited to visit Fremont Territorial Prison, where they had an exceptional program called Seven Habits from the Inside. The typical recidivism rate for a felon is around 80% within five years of being released. The felons who had been through this Seven Habits on the Inside program were seeing a recidivism rate of below 20%. So they asked me there to evaluate whether that program could be taken down to the, the youth level. The answer was no, because much of how it was written uses prison vernacular, and you're, you're not allowed to, to use terms like cellmate and, and things with boys in jail. They, they really don't want them to get comfortable with that culture. Hopefully these boys are going to be turned around, not continue on their path. So those results inspired me to go get certified by the Franklin Covey organization in Seven Habits. And then I was kind of licensed to use their material. And I borrowed some from Seven Habits from the Inside, Seven Habits for Highly Effective People, and Seven Habits for Highly Effective Teens, which is a Sean Covey book. And I did a custom kind of program. 
and I hope I, I planted some seeds and made a difference with those kids. But it, it ended up being nine two-week sessions to get through the material. You know, a lot of these kids came, well, pretty much all of them came from poverty and fatherless households. If we don't break that cycle, it's just going to continue. If these kids are given the tools to do that, I'm hoping that that, that can happen. Really care about empowering those kids, letting them know they have potential, and hopefully being a good role model. Also being even a resource for them once they're out. I've helped uh, some kids from Zeb Pike get jobs and stayed in touch. I continue to be involved with juvenile kind of stuff to this day. That's that's awesome that you're just out there as a resource for you know the youth in the community because most people just see you as the, the business figure and you don't really hear about that kind of community engagement side too much from people who are prominent business figures. So I think it's really awesome that you have something like that, that you're passionate about, that is one of those projects that you can focus on outside of that too. Yeah, it's it's something that I think is a passion, but it's, yeah, I don't certainly do it for the exposure. It's not one of those out in front, look at me, volunteer types of things. It's me working with eight to 10 kids at a time for, you know, those kids are in there for anywhere from one to three years typically. So they're a captive audience. Anyway. <laughs> well, thank you for doing what you do. I think it's important to point out that even though you're pouring all this stuff into your business, you're also giving back to the community by doing something that you're passionate about. How has how has mentorship impacted your life throughout the Amnet cycle or even before that? You know, I haven't had someone who was very specifically my mentor, but I sought out people who were exceptional in certain areas of my values, tried to learn from them. So business people like John Street, my father-in-law is a, a retired pastor who worked a lot with incarcerated kids through Youth for Christ. I see him as kind of a, a spiritual mentor. Just people who, I guess, are strong in those areas. I've, I've borrowed some time and wisdom from them without it being this intentional one-on-one all the time kind of mentoring. But it would have been awesome to to have something like that. I think I, I found my resources mostly elsewhere. Well, and it sounds like now you're doing that for other people. I, I've done a little bit. Awesome. Well, we're going to transition more into bullet questions as we close out. Uh, so recommend one resource that's helpful for you in everyday life. You know, I'm a big learner. I really like reading books, but I don't have a lot of time or attention to sit and read much anymore. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. But one of the apps that I use... Uh, right now is called Blinkist. And Blinkist kind of does a book report. It's it's somebody doing an executive summary of, of a book. And they'll give you a summary of each chapter. And the book review takes, I don't know, 12 to 15 minutes to go through. And it's kind of just like a taste of that book. And they give you the high points. And if I hear a Blinkist book that I really like, I'll go to Audible and, and get the book and listen to the full thing. But it's a way for me to do a lot of learning in small bites in a short amount of time. And they've got a, a decent library. So while I've got 200 books in my Audible collection, uh, these days I probably listen to five Blinkist books before I do a single Audible book. What's one book that you recommend? The most impactful books in my life. And I think that if you want to make an extra million bucks in your life, read and follow the, the guidance of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People from Stephen Covey and How to Win Friends and Influence People from Dale Carnegie. But I also have been listening to an audiobook recently that 
is purely for entertainment. It's a book by Cracked.com called You Might Be a Zombie and Other Bad News. And it's about 30 chapters of different kinds of trivia, uh, one of which that I enjoy the most is the four most badass presidents in U.S. history. Let me give a little snippet of that. Or one of the chapters was Four Cute Animals That Will Kill You. <laughs> it's things like that. So it's, it's good to get away from the business and self-improvement books a little bit and do something lighter and entertaining like that. And what's the best way to connect with you? Well, if you're in Colorado Springs, give me a call and, you know, always happy to have coffee with somebody. Uh, I'm a bourbon drinker, so if you want to take me out for a bourbon, that's that's <laughs> even better. If you're a golfer, I'm sometimes looking for a fourth. Racquetball player. So I, I like connecting with people in person. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Trevor. Uh, thank you for taking the time to be here. Absolutely. So share one parting piece of wisdom and then we'll say goodbye. You know, there's a quote from Ella Williams that I like. She says, uh, bite off more than you can chew and then chew it. I like it. <laughs> I think that's perfect. <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you again for being on the podcast. This is John Mark. And this is Brent. Signing off. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening in to another episode of Attitude Check, the Business Leadership Podcast. And we had such a great time talking with Trevor today. And one of the things that we didn't necessarily talk about in depth, but I really appreciated was just his intro story on how he started Amnet. I think Trevor's a really great storyteller and I loved that he added that little part in uh, where he remembered that older lady's name and she yelled at him for a few different things. I really hope that y'all enjoyed this episode of Attitude Check as much as Brent and I did. We really, really enjoyed sitting down with with Trevor and hearing his unique wisdom. Um, It was definitely helpful for us. Be sure to check back every first and third Tuesday of the month for another episode of Attitude Check. And make sure that you're subscribing to us on your podcast platform of choice to make sure you're staying up to date with all of our new content. And also, follow us on our social media, both Facebook and Instagram, to see all the new ideas that we're putting out there. And thank you so much to all of our listeners that share this podcast on social media. It's really helpful. You can get a hold of us at attitudecheckpodcast at gmail.com or just message us on Instagram or Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.